Well, good morning. Let's pray together. Would you pray with me? God of all creation, we just acknowledge that prayer. We long to be with you. May our every breath be praise to you as we come together in this place, as we sing songs, some feeling wonderful today and some under the weather. But in all cases, God, you are the God of all creation. We long to be with you. Speak to us now in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Miss Houston was her name. At least that's what she told me. I was uh, sitting at a McDonald's drive through line in Decatur a few weeks ago. My window was rolled down. We had just ordered. The line was long and going pretty slow. It was a Friday night a few weeks ago, about 8.30 p.m. Uh, we were in Decatur because my two younger sons had just finished playing Decatur MacArthur High School in JV and varsity basketball. Well... Actually, they didn't finish the game. Decatur MacArthur finished them pretty quickly, as I recall, much like they did just this past Friday night when my younger son broke his elbow. But that's a different story. A few weeks ago, we're sitting in this drive through line, window rolled down, and I'm waiting for my quarter pounder with cheese. Don't judge me. Um, when across the, the way, uh, I saw a woman walking towards the car in the fake grass around McDonald's. She made her way towards us, and she, she yelled out, Hey! Hey, I see you, she said. And so I looked over at her, and she walked all the way over to our car and stuck her head right in my window within inches of my face. And she said, Got any change? Got any change? I need to feed my baby. She said, they're in the restaurant and they're hungry, but I don't have any money for them. And a cascade of emotions began to flitter into my heart, you know? Hey, just give her some money. But wait a minute, what if she's lying? Oh, just give her something to, to, to buy some food with. Yeah, but what if I'm enabling her in a bad situation? And a colorful pattern of emotions filled my heart like a kaleidoscope. You know, nothing's more nostalgic than, for me than that old toy, the kaleidoscope. Do you remember those? Do they still have those in toy stores these days? I don't know. I haven't seen them for a while. But apparently a Scottish inventor by the name of David Brewster came up with this idea in 1817, first patented almost or over 200 years ago now. And there's such an interesting thing, you know, the name itself is derived from a few old Greek words, uh, kalos, which means good or beautiful, uh, eidos, which means to be seen, and skopeo, which means to, to look or to examine. So a kaleidoscope is, is an observation of looking at beautiful things, those kind of long slender tubes with the ability to look in one side and to see a cascade of colors in the other I used to love those, those little things, and I think we've even got a few scattered around in the sanctuary today for you to look at, and a giant one out there to look at as well. You'd look through in the light, and if you turn the end, you know, a colorful pattern that's just endless. And when I think about our God, I think there's some similarities there as well, to see His ways and His patterns and His character and His values. It's beautiful. 
and it's endless. The psalmist in Psalm 27 puts it this way, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. So, as Miss Houston peppered me with requests for money, my mind began to think about that that kaleidoscope of God. What would He look like to this woman in this moment? What would He do? What, What colors would she see mirrored in me about this God? And over the next few weeks, I want to explore some of those kinds of questions in Matthew chapter 20. We've, for several years, kind of been walking uh, a couple series a year through the book of Matthew. We reach Matthew 20 today in a series we're calling Kaleidoscope. And if you've got a Bible, let me invite you to open to Matthew 20. It's on page 801 in those Bibles in front of you. We, um, we're not going to have the verses on the screen this morning, so I'd hope for you to open up a Bible or a phone or an app or something like that to catch up to the story here in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus in this story just lays out some vibrant colors of this God in an otherwise, I think, grayscale world. Matthew 20, verse 1. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like, and already the kaleidoscope's turning, I think. Jesus in Matthew's gospel up to this point has been uh, changing some things, some shifting some things for his disciples. In fact, in Matthew 19, the last words recorded before this story, Jesus says, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. He's flipping things around. He's turning the kaleidoscope. He's twisting their understanding of who God is and who people are. And we see that right here. After all, Jesus has been... uh, teaching and hitting his disciples with some pretty rough and ragged issues of life here in chapter 19. He's driped some surprising patterns. I think they might be reeling a little bit. The Pharisees in chapter 19 come and they test Jesus about divorce and if it's lawful and they try to trap Jesus in a first century debate and there's a lot of discussion and then these kids come and surround Jesus in Matthew 19 and and instead of shooing them away, you know, because after all, Jesus should be dealing with important people, not these little rugrats, you know who can't contribute, can't teach, can't lead, can't bring any money to the table. And yet Jesus welcomes them, Jesus blesses them, and he says the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. There's that phrase, the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples, well, that turned the dial for them. And then a rich man in chapter 19, surely a man blessed by God comes and wants eternal life and wants to know what to do to get eternal life. And he's on the right track. He's keeping the commandments. But Jesus demands that he sell all his riches and give it to the poor and follow him. And the disciples' jaws hit the floor. And Jesus says, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's that phrase, the kingdom of heaven. And that got the disciples talking. We give up everything to follow you, Jesus. What's in it for us? And Jesus soothes them and says, calm down, Peter. God will take care of you. But then he turns the kaleidoscope with this story in Matthew 20. It twists their understanding, and I think it'll twist ours as well. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, note the subject of this story. The focus is the landowner, right? We often like to call, in fact, the title in my Bible is the parable of the workers in the vineyard, but that's not quite right. It's not about the workers, it's about this landowner. 
And, and look at what the landowner's like. He's an industrious guy, right? He's up early in the morning. He's out hiring these workers. He's not lazy. He doesn't skimp. He doesn't even pass this opportunity off to someone else. We learn in verse 8, for instance, he has a foreman for his vineyard, but he is high touch. He's out hiring the workers, interacting with the workers. He's not arrogant. He's not above it all. He's not demanding like uh, the Pharisees, demanding answers. He's not demanding rewards like the disciples were among Jesus. He's the salt of the earth. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. A Roman silver denarius is a fair price for a day's work. Not exorbitant, but this is normal. You know, farmers would often, or landowners would often, especially during harvest time, hire day laborers to come early in the morning, work the harvest all day long, agree to pay them something, and that evening they would pay them their wage. They would take that wage, they would go, you know, purchase food for the next day or for the next couple of days perhaps. If they didn't work, they didn't eat, this was important in the life of Israel, this was normal. The denarius is good. The workers agree. The payment is symphoneo, the Greek says, a symphony of agreement. Verse 3, about nine in the morning, this three hours later now, he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Oh, I've got opinions about that. He told them in verse 4, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. Now, hold on, just before I get too judgmental about doing nothing, the word is argos. It means without work. It's not like they were, you know, milling about, wasting time, playing video games, you know. They wanted to work. They just didn't have any work. And yet here's this landowner again, back in the marketplace at 9 a.m. He is relentless, this landowner. At verse 5, he went out again about noon and about 3 in the afternoon and did the same thing. About 5 in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to him, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now things with this landowner are just wacky, okay? This is just weird now, all right? People, especially in the first century, landowners knew how much labor they required to work in the vineyard. So why in the world does he keep coming back to the market all day long and getting more people and getting more people and getting more people? Either this landowner doesn't know how to run a vineyard or he's got another agenda. What is his agenda? I don't know. The story doesn't explicitly mention a need for more workers. Here he is nonetheless. The story just twists into all kinds of new patterns. And I wonder about these workers too. Who are these workers? Have they just been sitting there all day long with a thumb up looking for work? Have they been coming up to every open window they see sticking their head within an inch of somebody and asking for help? Is that what they're doing? Did they get there late and miss their chance for work? Well, you know. Part of me says serves them right. You know, if you don't get there on time early in the morning to get some work, then you don't deserve a payday. Yeah, yeah, except 
Some day laborers in those days were also tenant farmers. They may have owned a small plot of land themselves. Maybe they were up really early tending to their own farm and didn't get there quite in time to get hired. Or maybe they were caring for aging parents or little children. Or, or maybe they had to walk from far away up rocky terrain and, and massive hills miles away to get to this place and they didn't make it just in time to get hired in that moment. You know, you never really know a person's full story just by looking at them, do you? But here's this landowner. He's almost irresponsibly persistent, right? He's going out multiple times back to the market, back to the market, back to the market. Doesn't doesn't he have a vineyard to run? Doesn't he have people to manage? I mean, it's almost like he cares more about these stragglers in the marketplace than about the profitability of his own land. Seems like a vulnerable guy to me. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. And the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon, worked about an hour, mind you, came and each received a denarius. Well, what do you know? Worked one hour, got a whole day's wage. He said he'd pay them what was right, but this is more than right. This is grace. What a generous guy. So, verse 10, when those who came were, who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Now, why wouldn't they? I mean, I would have. This lazy lot came in for an hour and gets a whole day wage. What am I going to get? 10 times that amount? 12 times that amount? I've been here 10 times or 12 times more than them. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Oh, grumbling. The Greek word is gongudzo. It's, uh, it's an ancient Greek onomatopoeia. You know what that is, an onomatopoeia? It's a word that sounds like what it signifies. It's like the word bang or pop. You know, it sounds like what it is. So let's try it this morning even just to kind of get the feel of it, all right? Say gongudzo over and over kind of under your breath. Let's all say it together. Ready? Gongudzo, gongudzo, gongudzo. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, you're pretty good at grumbling, I see this morning. It's... They grumbled, and verse 12, here's what they said. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Those first hired workers, notice, grumbled not because they wanted to be treated equally with other workers, they wanted to be treated better. And I have so many questions about this landowner. Why didn't he just pay the first ones first and then the last ones, and nobody would have been the wiser? It would have avoided this grumbling, this altercation. But then again, this strange landowner has something up his sleeve, some quiet agenda. Verse 13, he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? We had a symphony, remember? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first. 
and the first will be last. Jesus twists the kaleidoscope and a whole colorful new pattern of God and people cascades before us, and it reminds me that comparison kills generosity. I mean, just think about these workers for a moment. The laborers, writes Brad Young, should have been happy about the good fortune of their co-workers who, because of the generosity of the landowner, would now have enough provision for their family. Everybody's family tomorrow is going to eat because of the generosity of this landowner. Isn't that great? They should have rejoiced. They should have lived out Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Instead, literally, they leveled, it says, an evil eye at the landowner. They were envious because he was generous. And they began to look down. They looked down on the late hired workers. They looked down on the midday hired workers. They even looked down on the landowner who gave them a day's wage and fair pay. They looked down and they failed to realize just how high they were elevating themselves in the process. Pride blinded them to the true colors all around them. I don't have to tell you, this isn't just a first century malady. They've always, there have always been situations that we've been able to compare ourselves with. The disciples in this text have just compared themselves with the rich young man. Later, the early church, made up mostly of Jewish believers in its early day, would compare themselves to Gentile believers coming into the church. Later still, in history, Catholic or Orthodox believers would sort of compare and condemn the late-coming Protestants into the church family. It continues all through the ages. Larger churches compare and condemn smaller churches. Smaller churches compare and condemn larger churches. Long-tenured Christians question the dedication of new believers. On and on and on it goes. Who are you comparing yourself with? Who doesn't stack up in your mind? Who deserves what they get and you don't shed a tear for them? Because after all, you've done some right things and they haven't quite got there yet. Miss Houston lied to me. She lied to me. She walked right up to my car window at that McDonald's drive through looked me in the face one inch from my nose, and she lied to me. She didn't have no babies in that restaurant. I don't even think she was hungry. I don't know at the time, but after considering her request with her standing in there, I told her I didn't have any money to give her. I said, but I'd be happy to buy you some food here at the drive through if you'd like. She said, no, 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 they won't let me anywhere near the drive through window. I said, that's okay. I'll tell you what. You go in the restaurant. I'll buy the food. They can serve you in the restaurant. Or even better, I'll just buy the food. I'll bring it in to you and your family in the restaurant. And she barked at me. Ha! You ain't got no change for me? I said, no. And with a huff, she turned and walked to the car behind us. And I want to confess to you, church, I thought to myself, this is what I thought. I thought to myself, she is a liar. She doesn't deserve a dime of my money. She's not hungry. She has no family in there. She's looking to swindle someone. And I confess to you, I felt good that I did not get taken. But I noticed something. I noticed I started looking down on Miss Houston. 
And I noticed that I all of a sudden started elevating myself higher and higher and higher. Because after all, she didn't get up early to go to work that morning like I did. She's like a late day, end of the day straggler trying to look for some handouts. She's a five o'clock doing nothing all day woman. Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? I didn't even care enough to ask her that question. I just assumed I knew her story. And as I pulled up to the drive through window, finally, Jody and I heard her shout for joy behind us at a car back there. Some sucker gave her money. Who would be generous with someone who doesn't deserve it? Jesus twists the kaleidoscope. Everything I thought I knew about God cascades into a whole new pattern of colors. Because lasts become first in this story. Listen, not because they do good work, but because they have a good Lord. A Lord who comes to the marketplace over and over and meets them where they are. A Lord who doesn't make excuses for people, but invites them into productive work again and again. A Lord who is fair to ungrateful grumblers like me. And a Lord who is generous with undeserving latecomers, also like me. This Lord is extravagant in his generosity. Are you? Who do you look down on that could use some of our master's generosity today? The kaleidoscope turns, the colors run free. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who is generous and and gloriously graceful with all people, even those we look down on. As I drove away from that McDonald's, smugly, I looked out my window and I saw Miss Houston walking down the street with her newfound wealth. She lied to me. She didn't have any family in that restaurant, she didn't even buy any food. And she made me angry. But as I drove off, blinded by all my good work, couldn't help but see out of the corner of my eye a cascade of colors. And I think I heard God say to me, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last.